Chelsea, thank you. That was perfect. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Uh, if you're a student, you are now dismissed to go with Miss Francis, I guess, and Miss Sherry and Mr. Nick and Miss Ivy. I don't know who's doing what today, but you can pick one of those and follow them and you'll do good. Uh, let me just, uh, Tommy, thank you for the announcements. Let me add a couple to it real quickly. Um, next Sunday, the Sunday before Christmas, um, we're going to have breakfast. So come early and uh, enjoy some breakfast. I'm not sure all that that'll involve, but it's going to be good. So please come and be with us uh, next Sunday morning. Um, the children will be singing next Sunday. So if you have little ones, please get them here a little early so that they can participate. And if you would like to come and just enjoy the children of our church singing praises unto the Lord and celebrating His birth, you do that. I think it'll be a fun Sunday morning. Lastly, uh, last Sunday night, we had our annual Christmas party at Kim and Jerry's house. And I just wanted to, I'm sorry we were a little cramped and um, that the food wasn't good. I'm sure everybody went home and ate something at home. Uh, no, it was, it, it was just lovely. It was lovely from beginning to end and top to bottom. And to thank y'all for doing that for our church family. It was, it was great. It was really great. So thank y'all. Uh, anything else, Tommy, I need to say? Or anybody need me to say? I think that's it. Okay. I want to talk to y'all today about something um, that for me is directly connected with Christmas. It's really the thing really that I think of the most as far as just my own personal relationship to Christmas. Let me, let me read a passage to you out of Isaiah 9. It says, For to us... A child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And notice it doesn't say shoulders, his shoulder. He doesn't need both shoulders. There's one's enough. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace... There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness both now and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of the host will do this. I, I love the way that promise ends God is really making, he's making a promise to Isaiah. He's making a promise to the people of Israel, but he's making a promise to the Lord Jesus. There'll be a day when I give you the opportunity to make this world and universe right. I'm making you a promise, son, and my zeal commits it to you. I'm, I, all that I'm passionate about is committed to the fulfillment of this promise that I'm making to you. When I think of um, Christmas, I think of just the anticipation and the excitement of waiting. I don't know how you can think of Christmas and not think about waiting um, Waiting for the 
FedEx man and the mailman to come every day. Um, waiting for visits from friends and family that maybe you haven't seen for a while. Waiting for um, special events. My wife <laughs> loves to go to the zoo thing, you know, the Christmas zoo thing. She loves to go to the Shelby Farms Christmas thing. She loves to come to the Botanic Gardens Christmas thing. When Christmas comes, you're supposed to go to all these different uh, special Christmas uh activities and events that they offer. She thinks that's what you're supposed to do. So, so we, guess what? We do that. Um, and she waits for that. She loves that. Um, waiting for family meals, family traditions. Waiting for the opportunity to... My wife has the spiritual gift of receiving and I have the spiritual gift of giving, so we're a good match. Uh, we fit together well. Um, I love to buy and give presents. And she loves for me to do that. So it works out just great. And uh, there's nothing that I enjoy more than uh, shopping and buying presents for her. And uh, uh, it's just so much fun. And I can't wait. In fact, many times by the time we get to December the 25th, I've already given her most of it because I just love giving her gifts. It makes me, I, I can't wait to do it. Um, when my daughter was little, I guess we started when she was three, uh, we started doing the 12 days of Christmas and um, we'd start on December the 13th. And uh, I even have in my one year Bible on December the 13th, today starts the 12 days of Christmas. And uh, I'd have a different present for her every morning. And I, she, normally you couldn't blow her out of the bed with a stick of dynamite. Uh, but shockingly, amazingly, uh, uh, on those 12 mornings, she'd shoot out of bed like a bullet because she couldn't wait to run in there and see what her gift was for that day. Uh, she couldn't wait. She loved it. Um, as I said... Waiting is a part of Christmas, but for me, it's important to remember that waiting is a part of God's activity for us. Waiting is um, a part of His plan, part of the way He designed um, His relationship with us to work um, you know, throughout the Old Testament, you, you, you just see this consistent pattern of God revealing His love to people, God making promises to people, and then making them wait. And the people, there's some things here that I want you to hear. The people... That God, if you were going to call certain people his favorites, he loves everybody, but he loves some people especially. The people that he especially loved the most were the very ones that had to wait the longest. I want you to hear that. The people that God loves at least his track record in the Old Testament. 
the people that God loved the most were the very ones that he asked to wait the longest. His firstborn, humanly speaking, Adam. He made Adam a promise in Genesis chapter 3 verse 13. The smart theologian people would call it the proto-evangelium. God made a promise to Adam. Adam, what you and your wife participated in that has messed everything up, I promise you, I'm going to fix it. I have a plan. It involves my son, but I'm going to fix what you've messed up. Noah, for a hundred years, God made him wait. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. A hundred years before the first drop. Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. God, there's no way in the world I can have a son. I'm going to give you a son. But he had to wait. Joseph, Joseph, you're going to rule over your family. As a little boy has this dream, stars and the moon, and everybody's bowing down to his star. His family, they're bowing down in this dream two different times. Many, many years before that ever took place. And I could go on, David, David, I'm going to make you king. Oh, yay, that's a good deal, thanks. But I'm going to make you wait. All the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Amos and Obadiah and Zechariah, God made these promises to these prophets. But then he made them out of Isaiah chapter 9. They were fulfilled. The passage that I just read to you out of Isaiah chapter 9, God made, as I said, to the prophet Isaiah. He made it to the people of Israel. He made it to his own son. He made that promise 700 years before Jesus was born. God made a promise to his people that he would send a Messiah who would redeem, who would heal who would deliver, who would save, who would forgive, who would reveal what God looks like, who would come and punish wrong and make all things right and would establish a kingdom that would operate as God designed, a kingdom of justice and righteousness and mercy and grace. This Messiah would come and do all of that. And yet... Only a very small part of that prophecy or that promise was fulfilled 700 years later. Yes, the Messiah came. Yes, the Messiah did what needed to be done so that the promise could be fulfilled. But the promise still hasn't been fulfilled. Where, where, what kingdom? Where, where's the kingdom that is operating by justice and righteousness and mercy and grace? Who lives in that land right now? I don't. Do you? Do you know anybody that does? This promise that God made to his people, like all of the promises made by God to his favorites throughout the Old Testament, they required lots and lots and lots of waiting. That's why the most repeated prayer in the Old Testament, number one prayer in the Old Testament, you know what it is? 
prayed by God's favorites from Abraham through Malachi. Do you know who the, who the, the number one prayer in the Bible is? How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? When are you going to speak? When are you going to act? When are you going to come? When are you going to help? You told us you would. How long? How long? Oh Lord. So many of the promises that God made to people in the Old Testament. It required lots of waiting. But what you see, and I'll show you this in a few minutes, I hope. The waiting that God required was designed to create that which was better than what people were waiting for. They were waiting for God's help. They were waiting for God's revelation. They were waiting for God's deliverance. But what God gave them through the process of waiting was so much more perfect, so much more abundant, so much more lasting. I think that's one of the reasons that when you see God making promises in the Old Testament, I never saw this before. This week I was just studying my brains out and it hit me like a ton of bricks. When you see God making his favorites promises in the Old Testament, somewhere right along there, right before it, right at it, or right after it, you start seeing God using imagery like the sands of the sea. Abraham, I'm going to give you more descendants than the sands of the sea. Look at the stars in the heavens. That which I'm going to do for you will be more abundant than all the stars. And then look at the mountains. Look at the oceans. Look at, the, look at storms that occur. Those type images, examples, metaphors are used by God consistently when he made people promises. Wonder why? I think part of it is God wanted us to see that that which is unimaginable, that which is beyond your ability to grasp and to emulate and to repeat, that's the kind of stuff I do. And that's the kind of stuff that I do, especially in the fulfillment of my promises. If you'll just wait, I could give you some little old pity uh, 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 fulfillment, that which you really are, you just believe with all your heart, I can't live without. But I, and this is what I've got for you. Process of waiting. Oh my goodness, what I've got for you. Is so much more wonderful. It's like the stars. Or the oceans. Or the mountains. Or the storms. It's so amazing. The Old Testament reminds us. That waiting on God. Is not odd. Waiting on God. Is not in vain. And God always keeps his promises.
Then we get to the birth of Jesus, the first advent. And here's the way Paul says it in Galatians 4. But in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of woman. And then he goes down a couple of words and says, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. God sent his son at the perfect time so that we might receive the adoption as sons, the adoption into God's families, into God's family. You know, when you get to the birth of Jesus, nothing changes. God doesn't change the plan at all. Waiting is still a vital part of God's plan in dealing with his people. Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, they had to wait so many years before they ever, ever held a baby boy. Mary and Joseph, how many years did they have to wait before the promises that they received through Gabriel regarding the, 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 the life and the ministry and the impact of the baby that they would soon hold before that was ever fulfilled. The shepherds had to wait. They're, they're drawn by the announcement of the angels to this little uh, 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 barn type deal, or as Eric explained, uh, the, the, the bottom part, uh, the lower part of a, of a house where the animals were and the straw and all, and all that stuff. And they hear these amazing promises from God about what they would behold when they got there. But they're still just a baby. Jesus didn't jump up with a top hat and a cane and do a little dance announcements from the angels. Do miracles or... No, no. They, they heard these amazing announcements from the angels. And they come to this, this, this animal part place, this barn, if you will. And it's still just a little baby in a trough. There's no... Uh, you know, there's nothing magical about that. And they leave. I'm not saying they didn't leave... Amazed and excited. But I am suggesting that the promises that they heard from the angels about what this birth meant and would accomplish, they had to wait a lifetime, if not more, for that to be fulfilled. The shepherds see a star. Someone had told them, Probably Daniel, generations earlier, that when you see this star, it's going to be the indication that a special king is born. But it was a year before they ever found that. If not long, it could have been longer than that. We don't know how many years it was before they ultimately arrived and saw this little child that the star had announced. Um... Who was the other people I was thinking of? Uh, oh, Simeon and Anna. That, that, that old man and that old woman who had spent their lives at the temple waiting to see the Messiah. They waited year after year after year after year before God, God had given them this promise. God had indicated in their hearts, before you die, you'll see the Messiah. And God honored the promise. But it required years and years of waiting. The birth of Jesus, just like the Old Testament, is just a reminder 
that waiting on God is not odd. Waiting on God is not in vain. And God will keep his promises to his people. Go to the birth of Jesus. Uh, not the birth of Jesus, the, the, the ministry of Jesus, his adult life uh, as he ministered for those three and a half years. Nothing changes. Waiting was still a vital part of God's plan for his people. Mary and Martha, their brother gets sick and ultimately he dies. Where's Jesus? Jesus promised us he loved us. Jesus promised he would be there for us. Jesus promised that he would help us. Their brother gets sick. They send word. Come, Jesus, come. What's Jesus' response to three people that clearly were three of his favorites? He made them wait. John the Baptist spends his brief life doing nothing. Yeah, he eats some locusts and, you know, makes some clothes out of uh, camel's hair and that kind of deal. But basically spends his whole life um, on... Declaring and announcing that the Son of God was coming and has come. He lived his life uh, introducing the people of God to the Son of God. He's ready for the Son of God to fulfill Isaiah chapter 9. To establish this kingdom. Smite and destroy wrong. And establish righteousness and justice. And and do all the things that God had promised through the Old Testament. Jesus didn't seem to be in a hurry. In fact, if anything, it seemed like it wasn't going in the right direction. And ultimately, John the Baptist winds up in jail. And he finally gets so discouraged, like you and I do too. Waiting is hard. Waiting is wearisome. Waiting is frustrating. Waiting is scary. And he waited and he waited and he waited. He sends this word to Jesus. Jesus, are you the one? I, 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 I knew you were and I still know you are. But this waiting, are you the one? Jesus said, look at my life. Observe my life and listen to my words. If I sound like the Messiah and I look like the Messiah, and I'm acting like the Messiah, that I am. That I am. But John the Baptist was waiting and waiting. The disciples, Master, Teacher, when are are you going to usher in your kingdom? You don't worry. You just wait. Jesus' own family. Hey, Jesus, go down to Jerusalem. Uh, the, the Passover's taking place. That's a good time to get your name out there in front of You're running for office. You know, you want everybody to vote for you for the, the new king of Israel. You better let everybody see who you are. Don't you worry about that, guys. My time frame and your time frame are very different. Those that were, were so excited about Jesus Ushering in his kingdom. Those that loved him and believed in him. And committed their lives to him. God made them wait. The gospels. Remind us. Just like the Old Testament. And just like the birth of Jesus. That waiting on God is not odd. It's never in vain. And God 
always keeps his promises. And I could go on and on throughout the epistles, throughout the book of Acts and the church age. Well, listen to what Paul, listen, listen to the promise that God makes through the apostle Paul to you and me in Ephesians 1. You too, that's me and you, you too were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance till God redeems all those that belong to Him. Do you hear the waiting that's implied? Oh, I've chosen you. Oh, I, I, I have done this work in your life. But what I've given you is not the keys to the kingdom. I've given you a deposit. When do you use a deposit? When there's something that's going to take place in the future. God gave us the Holy Spirit as not as the doorway through which we experience all of God's abundance. While there is some truth in that, that's a whole other study. Um, but his point here is that the Holy Spirit living inside me and you is God's way of telling us, I'm going to give you a glorious and great future. Romans chapter 8, Paul says, All of creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth till now. And we also, having the first fruits of God's Spirit, we also groan, waiting for our adoption as sons. That is an amazing verse to me. Not only does it tell me that while I am waiting for God to fulfill His promises to me, number one, that waiting is a part of God's plan, and that while I'm waiting, I'm going to groan. I'm going to be in agony. It is not going to be fun all the time waiting on God to fulfill His promises. It will be difficult. But also that all creation. I don't understand that. But literally what Paul is suggesting or what Paul is declaring. Is that when Adam and Eve messed the garden up. They didn't just mess up that garden. They messed up the universe. That all the universe is it's screwed up. It's, it's not operating as it should. Things are wrong in the way the universe works. And it's groaning. It's agonizing as it waits for God to come back and make things right. Those of you that are reading through the Bible with me. Mm. Um, um, you're reading in Revelation. You know what we just read a couple of days ago? About those seven churches. I, I challenge you. Go back and read what Jesus says to all seven of those churches. In Revelation 2 and 3. Every one of those churches that Jesus spoke to. There's a word in there about waiting you have to wait. I'm, you're the church. I love you. I'm committed to you. You're my bride. I will do for you before anyone else. But what I'm going to do, it's going to require that you 
weight. The epistles, they remind us that waiting is not odd. Waiting on God is never in vain. And that God always keeps his promises. All right, I'm going to try to be quick here. I want to give you two more thoughts. First thought is this. One of the wonder, you know, one of the things that makes Jesus a very unusual leader. He's one of the only leaders that does what he expects his followers to do. Those knotheads in Washington, what they ask us to do, they don't do. They don't do any of the stuff that they want us to do. But Jesus never asks you to do anything that he doesn't do. Jesus doesn't ask us to wait without him being willing to wait as well. Jesus is continually waiting. He's waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise to him. God the Father's promise to him in Isaiah chapter 9 like I stated. He's waiting for a bride. He's waiting for children. That's why he told uh, 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 Nicodemus, you must be born again. I want children. I want, I want a family. But he's waiting for this family. Jesus has been sowing seed for thousands and thousands of years. And you know what the Bible says? The harvest will come. But it hadn't come. Jesus is waiting for a harvest. He's waiting for a kingdom. He's waiting to defend his father's reputation. He's waiting, waiting to punish the enemies of his family. He's waiting to do what creation is groaning for him to do. Jesus, we're waiting for you to come and remodel the universe and make it back the way it was supposed to be before Adam and Eve screwed it all up. Have you ever wanted to remodel your home? How long did it take you from the time the, the bank said you got the money and the time you started the project? I bet it wasn't long because you didn't want to wait. Oh my gosh, we've got the money. Our house isn't like I want it to be. I'm going to start this project and I'm going to remodel my house. God the Father told Jesus, you're going to get to remodel the universe and make it the way it's supposed to be. When can I start, Dad? You're going to have to wait. There'll be a day when you can remodel the universe. But you'll have to wait. Jesus is waiting. He's continually waiting. He's waiting on people like me and you to hear, to seek, to believe, to return, to follow, to reconcile, to mature, to forgive, to follow. How many of us, Jesus, is waiting for us to seek after Him, to believe in Him, to love Him, to serve Him? How many of us is Jesus waiting for us to forgive like the um, like the father in the, uh, the prodigal son story. How the father must have waited for his older son and his younger son to forgive each other and love each other. Many of you understand that. You have children. They won't forgive each other. 
They won't love each other. And you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. Jesus is waiting for that too. Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door knocking. It's continual. You know what that means? He's waiting. He's waiting for us to open the door. Why? So that he can enter in and have supper with us. Eat with us. Fellowship with us. Build a relationship with us. But right now, he's knocking. He's knocking. I'm waiting. I'm waiting to come in. Joel chapter 3 says this. The day will come when I'll restore the fortunes of my people and punish all who have wronged them and harmed them. Jesus is waiting. He's waiting to restore that which needs to be restored and to address that which needs to be addressed. Amos 9 says the days are coming when the plower will overtake the reaper and the one treading grapes will overtake the planter and new wine will flow from the mountains and the hills. Remember I told you earlier that I love to buy my wife presents? I love to buy my daughter presents too. I love to give her stuff and her open it up and literally be squealing, squealing with excitement over getting to, to enjoy this present, whatever it might be. Jesus is waiting to give us presents. He can't wait to come down and make the world in such a way. If you really believe that literally, and I do in Amos 9, Jesus' desire, he's already got it planned out. I'm going to come down here someday and I'm going to touch the world. And when I do, literally the blessings will be so abundant that the blessings that you're using today will be overrun by the blessings that are coming behind. You won't be able to finish using the blessings you get today because there's such an abundance that are chasing you from behind. How Jesus must want to do that. How he sits there and goes, Ah! How I want to do that. How I want to make that the world that my children can enjoy. But the father says, Jesus, you got to wait. Part of our willingness to take up our cross and follow Jesus is our willingness to wait like Jesus has to wait. And lastly, don't miss this. Why does God make us wait? That seems mean. Doesn't it seem mean to you? Anybody make me wait on anything? They're mean. I'm just telling you. My wife will tell you, you make me wait. I don't like it. I don't like to wait. Cherry's family, they just sit around and wait. They just, that doesn't bother them a bit. They just, they just, they could wait. <laughs> wait just part of the thing for them. And I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, I, 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 I don't understand that. It is, it is literally, well, I'm trying to think of anything you could do to me that is more aggravating and make me wait. I hate waiting. And yet, God seems to not hesitate to make us wait. If he loves us so much and he's so committed to our good and so passionately in the pursuit of us, 
Why would somebody make me wait when he could give it to me now? I think that's an important question. I really believe that the only, I want you to hear me, the only reason that God makes his favorites wait is because in the process of waiting, God gives that which could not have been given a second earlier. He has something so grand, so great, so marvelous, so amazing that he wants to give, but it's not possible to give it without the waiting. Isaiah chapter 40 says this, All who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles, and they'll run and not be weary, and they'll walk and they'll not faint. Clearly Isaiah understood that there was a connection between getting that which was amazing and the need to wait. Why would God ask Abraham to wait? Years and years and years and years for a son. The only reason that I can figure, God wanted to give Abraham an Isaac instead of an Ishmael. And the son of promise couldn't come a day earlier than the day he came. Why would God ask Abraham to wait for the promised land? It's yours. I'd like to have it. You're going to have to wait. Because God wanted Abraham to get the promised land and not Sodom. See, Lot didn't wait. I want my inheritance right now. Okay, you can have it now. But it's going to be Sodom. Abraham said, I'll wait. Oh, good. Because what I want to give you is the promised land. Joseph, I made you a promise. You'll rule over your family. Yay! Who doesn't want to get to be the boss? I get to be the boss of my parents and my brothers. Woohoo! But if you wait... I'll let you be the boss of a nation. The most powerful nation on the planet. Moses. You, you, something inside your gut has told you. You're supposed to be the rescuer of my people. I know Lord. There's a guy that's in trouble. He's getting beat up by an Egyptian soldier. I'll go and rescue him. Well. You can do that. And you can be the rescuer of one. But if you'll wait, I'll let you be the rescuer of a nation. Married? Yes, sir, I do. Boaz, you want to be married? Yes, sir, I do. I really want to be married. Israel's full of single women. You're a rich dude. You can have anybody you want. But Boaz, I'd rather you wait. Because if you wait, I'll give you a Ruth. Oh, that's a better deal. David, you want to be king? Yes, sir. I'd like you to be king. It's part of my plan for you. 
Can I be king now? Immediately after you give me the promise? Sure. But you'll become a Saul. But if you're willing to wait, you're going to become a David. And in our willingness to wait, not only does God give us better, God makes us better. See, David didn't just get a kingdom because he waited. The kingdom got David. Oh, what a king. Oh, what a gift. The waiting not only give, makes the gift we receive better, it makes those that wait better. The waiting created that which was greater and enduring. Things that endure, that have value, that have glory, that have impact. We understand inherently that they demand waiting. That which endures and is glorious and grand. Those things can't be hurried. God has not prepared for us instant grits and tents and field flowers. My daughter, when she was little, she loved instant grits. Instant grits are fine. But I want to suggest to you that's not what God's prepared for us. David Coles got in, his, in a backpack at his house. Little old bag. It's not big, much bigger than this Bible. Really not much bigger than this Bible. He unzips that thing and pull, just pulls this thing out of that little old bag. And a tent pops open that you can sleep in. It just goes, and, it just, and you can sleep in it. My wife and I will go out to Shelby Farms in the spring. And all those field flowers. They're all grits and tents and field flowers. How lovely. How wonderful. How good. But that's not what God's prepared. When God does a preparing and when God is given the opportunity by us being willing to wait, He prepares feast. He prepares mansions. And He makes us into sequoias. Not field flowers. Not tents. Not instant grits. He's got feast and mansions and sequoias that He's preparing for us. Those that are unwilling to wait. Larry, when you're unwilling to wait, I want it now. Often God will give it to me. But it's that green, bitter, unripe fruit that I wind up snatching. And God said, Larry, if you'd have just waited... If you'd have let the fruit ripen, it would have been red and sweet and soft. But now you got to eat some old hard, unripened, bitter fruit because you wouldn't wait. I don't know what you're waiting on. I know you are. We all are. You're waiting for your mate to change. You're waiting for God to get a hold of one of your children. You're waiting on God to bless your business or give you a business. 
You're waiting on God to, get, to rid you of something that plagued your life. You're waiting for God to heal a relationship. You've waited and you've prayed and you've asked and you've waited and you've waited and you've waited and you've waited. And, you've waited. and it sucks. It's terrible. I hate waiting. I hate, and I'm being honest with you, I hate praying for some of you and asking the Lord day after day after day after day, please do this for them. Please do this for them. And He makes you wait and He makes me wait. And I know I'm going to get up tomorrow morning and pray it again. I just felt like that it was a nice reminder for all of us. Christmas is one of God's clearest declarations that waiting is not odd. Waiting is not in vain. And God keeps His promises. But what are the promises that God's making me? might want to start reading and discovering what those promises are. The more you read, the more promises you'll discover. And the more you read, the more sensitive you'll be to His voice as He makes very specific promises to you that He's not making to anybody else. God gave a promise to Isaiah. God gave a promise to his people. God gave a promise to his son. And it demanded a lot fulfilled. In fact, it demands some more waiting. But God fulfilled part of it. And he gave us that as an encouragement that he'll fulfill the rest of it. God will fulfill his promises to you. He promises that. Please don't doubt that. Please don't. Um, please believe that. Okay? Uh, let's see here. Uh, Juan, would you and Sarah come help me? We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Before we're dismissed. Um... As I was thinking about this idea of waiting, waiting on God. You know, the, you, some of you have heard me say this before. You know the Hebrew word for waiting? The literal Hebrew word for waiting is the idea, it's a farming term that means one vine wraps itself around another vine and hold, they, they hold each other up. It's, that, it's literally the word, the word wait in, the, in Hebrew means to cling. It's one vine clinging to another vine. God wants you and I to find the strength to wait as we understand that He is passionately and delightedly clinging to us and He wants us to cling to Him.
cling to me out of your confidence, out of my promise that I am clinging to you. And because I'm clinging to you, what I've said to you will be fulfilled. God clinging to us and creating the desire and the ability for us to cling to him. That's what we're celebrating by eating this bread and drinking this wine. We're declaring as we eat this bread and drink this wine, God is clinging to me. And therefore, I'm clinging to him. Boy, there's a lot of unanswered uh, questions related to that, isn't there? Yeah, there are. But I believe because Jesus came and died, God is clinging to me. And therefore, I'm clinging to him. Come what what may, (laughs) early or late, I don't understand. But I'm clinging to him because he is clinging to me. If that's your hope, if that's your desire, if that's your belief, if that's your prayer, that God is clinging to me and therefore I'm clinging to him, I invite you to come and eat bread and drink wine and remember and give thanks and rejoice that God and his promises, God asking us to wait, it's not odd, it's not in vain, and God will keep his promises. Okay? You come. Uh, If you'd like prayer, there will be people on my right and my left who would love to pray with you. If you have some things that you'd like just somebody to pray with you about, they'll be there waiting on you.